Hey fam, it's Kristen. I want to start this podcast with a brief note. I don't know how to express these things in a smooth and coherent way, so pardon me if I'm a little bit of a mess. Chris and I feel it's important to acknowledge what's going on in the world. Protests, murders, death, racism, riots, all of it. It's too much for someone to handle alone and we need community. We need to listen to people. And it's important to Chris and I not to abuse our own white privilege by ignoring these issues and going on with our silly little podcast without saying something about what's happening in the world. I know that this is a fun podcast that we hope is intellectually stimulating and I don't want to bring into a moment of escape for some of our listeners a topic that you might be trying to escape from. And I'm sorry. But this topic is in the book. This topic is in the world. And it's not something that Chris and I can ignore and not bring up, not mention and be silent on. The book that we're reading today is the beginning of The Horse and His Boy. And in the first chapter that we discussed today, there's a young boy who's described as white being sold by a man he called father who is described as black. And the boy is being sold essentially into slavery. And it is a topic that definitely reflects in one way or another, the racism and the core of what it is that's happening in America right now. We want to stand. We want to say something. We want to do something. We want to fix it. And there's no easy solution. There, there isn't. There hasn't been. I have family and friends asking in the face of riots, what would Martin Luther King say? And I want to get in their faces and say, the fact that you can ask that is proof that his journey, his fight isn't over. The fact that you think his voice is still relevant right now, and it is, the fact that his voice is still so relevant now is just proof that what he fought for has not been realized. We want to invite all of our white listeners to listen to their friends, to their family, to the world at large, to the people of color that surround them who have not been heard. We challenge you to let voices be heard that have been silenced for far too long. I don't know what to say. And when you have the chance to challenge people, to listen, 
to the stories that aren't being heard, to make the voices heard that haven't been. You need to take it. Chris and I also acknowledge how absolutely unprepared he and I are to handle the topic of race and the race and the racism in America. But we want to do better and we're asking if you are a listener who is a person of color and you want your voice to be heard, feel free to share your story with us. Whether you submit it to us in writing or whether you send us a voice recording, we want to hear it and we want to share it with others and give you, even if it's this tiny little platform, but this tiny little place to be heard. It would be a separate podcast from our normal podcast. We're going to continue our normal podcast as usual, but we invite we ask for your stories as people of color, as people who are dealing with these issues on the receiving end of violence and discrimination and just damaging racism, passive and active, that you share your stories. And if we can give you a bigger voice, please let us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to each other. Thank you for listening to the voices that haven't been heard. And thank you for listening to our silly little podcast. Don't lock yourselves in any wardrobes. Welcome to Chronically Narnia. If you don't know that this is a podcast, allow me to inform you. This is a podcast. Whoa. With that out of the way, today we here will be beginning our discussion on the horse and his boy, starting with chapter one. How Shasta set out on his travels. Do we always start with chapter one? I think so. I mean... Canonically, we do. <laughs> okay. I, this is season three. And it is season th- three. It's the third time we've started with chapter one. Can so. you believe we've been doing this for two whole books and we're starting a third book? Nope. <sighs> we're not even close to halfway through. Back to my intro. <laughs> Despite the fact that we're reading these books in the wrong order, we are not making any effort to avoid spoilers on the books we have already discussed. The Magician's Nephew and Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But we will verbally call out spoiler uh, as much as possible within reason. Um, now, that's why we're here. That is why we're here. Who are we? <laughs> well, I'm the Tisrock. May he live forever. Also known as Kristen. Shouldn't and this s- is my co-host. I, I'm I'm one of the poets. Ah. Also. also also known as Chris. Uh, if you're saying that, shouldn't you say, may I live forever? No. Because it's the like the royal we. 
Uh-huh. It, it's like... Yeah. May he live forever. Anyway. Why are we doing this so awkwardly? This is our third season I, of this podcast. Because we tried to write a script <laughs> and it didn't work. You're welcome, Nathan. Anyway. Uh, this is what we seem like scripted. This, yeah, this is why we don't have a script. <laughs> because it's like, hello. And welcome to... <laughs> Well, we'll rewrite that to be less awkward. <laughs> Welcome to a new season of the podcast. We're discussing a new book. We uh, are in chapter one. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. I will start off by saying right away that I think uh, this book is already better written than the last one. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Uh, and as far as chronological writing, this one was written later than the the, the other, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which was his first foray into this kind of children's literature. Yes. Uh, him, of course, his, his referring to um, C.S. Lewis, Lewis. Yeah, which I'm sure you know if you're listening to this podcast. That's the one. Uh-huh. So this is one that he has already written a couple of children's books prior to getting this one down. Yeah. And so, yeah, he definitely has got a little more experience and it's apparent. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. He, I mean, first chapter, he found a thesaurus, at least. Um, what? <laughs> he found a thesaurus? There's a lot of a lot of $2 words in there. As, oh, uh, yes. Them saver. poets. <laughs> you, you self-identified well. Uh-huh. Anyway, so why don't we just jump right into this? we got a lot to talk about, so let's start off with our first segment, where if you're a new listener, welcome uh, you picked an interesting point to jump in, but welcome anyway. Uh, and we start off this podcast by going through the chapter, and we find five sentences that we think summarize everything the chapter has to say, and we read those just to start off with. So, Kristen, if you'd like to do our, your sentence summary first, possibly, maybe? Very well. Okay. In those days, far south in Callerman, on a little creek of the sea, there lived a poor fisherman named Arshish, and with him there lived a boy who called him father. And now, O oh my host, said the Tarkhan, I have a mind to buy that boy of yours. Are you going to run away too, said Shasta. Yes, if you'll come with me, answered the horse. Then, still at a walking pace, he went northward till the cottage, the one tree, the donkey stable, and the creek, everything, in fact, that Shasta had ever known, had sunk out of sight in the gray summer night darkness. Ooh, you did well. I was trying really, really, really hard to come up with a fifth sentence for this. Yeah. Because I, I, it was really hard to pick one to end on that seemed to encapsulate anything. I must have missed that when reading through it like six times, because that's <laughs> a really good one. I don't know how I missed that. Um, so here's mine. In those days, far south in Callerman, on a little creek of the sea, there lived a poor fisherman called Arshish, and with him there lived a boy, who called him father. One day there came from the south a stranger who wasn't like any man Shasta had seen before. And now, O oh my host, said the Tarkhan, I have a mind to buy that boy of yours. Then I'd better run away, said Shasta, turning very pale. I say, observed the horse. <laughs> See, because I, <laughs> I was trying to come up with like one line that was like, oh, hey, we have a talking horse introduced as a character and also like closes the chapter. And I was like, 
And I took this one a bit out of context as being like, yeah, the horse talks and he agrees. Yeah, whatever. Like, that's... <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, so that we used being... two sentences in common. We did. Uh, so that being said, let's, let's dive into this, shall we? We're in a new book. We're in a new land. We're in the land of Callerman. Yes. Uh, which, according to the interwebs, probably is derived from uh, the Latin word caller, which means heat. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what Lewis was going for when he came up with that. So we're in Hotland. Yes. And I feel like it's, when I read Callerman, there are two things that immediately stand out to me. And one is, it looks like color men. And the other is color, which is the the Latin root word for heat. Like, because in Spanish, color is hot. Uh-huh. And so those are the first two things that pop out to me. Uh-huh. And, um... So I'm, I was imagining, because of my reading of that, as as hot, mm-hmm. and because of the descriptions of the characters as having turbans, wearing robes, having long beards, I, I very much got this kind of desert, Arabia, Middle Eastern kind of vibe from it. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, that was just kind of something without actually saying anything about the landscape that was painted as a landscape in my head Mm -hmm. and i don't i don't know if it's accurate because there's nothing said in the book but as far as like where we're at there's the there's just the one tree that he passed in my last sentence the one tree and the donkey Mm -hmm. um i don't know all of it very much kind of put in mind this very middle eastern um landscape Mm-hmm. And then also um, we have characters describing Shasta as being white. And we have the Tarkan saying to Arshish, your skin is as black as mine is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I then after that kind of put this into more of like a, a North African Morocco kind of um, the Moors in North Africa kind of context and story like. Mm-hmm. mode as far as world building goes yeah <laughs> there's not a lot of um landscape world building it is just world building of physical descriptions of characters mm-hmm. so i don't know what did you think I, I know you're a big fan of world building what kind of world were you envisioning with this not uh very much the same like uh middle eastern northern africa kind of like uh you know prince of persia aladdin that kind of time frame with like you know, those depictions of, of, like, the Middle East and the Persian Empire and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, not the Persian Empire. That was a, you know, very anachronistic, but later. Um, <laughs> that was a thing. I don't I don't know. The Like, the trying to come up with a, a direct analogy between timelines and Narnia and Earth is really hard. So we don't really have... We can't really say, oh, this is an analog to the Renaissance or this is... It, it doesn't I would really say, work. I uh, no. I would say that because the the Narnia timeline we've been presented with for the kids mm-hmm. was very much this kind of knights and nobles time frame. Yeah, I would say that this is very much like a. Uh, well, I mean, in my just, head, I picture like early Crusades. Yeah, like we do establish that this is during the time that Peter and the other kids are ruling Narnia. Like they are in Narnia while this is all happening. Yes, Peter the High King. And his siblings, <laughs> yep. who ruled under him. Lower kings and queens. 
and so geographically, we've established this place. It's far south of Narnia. There's a whole country between Narnia and Kalerman called Arkenland. We don't know anything about that yet. Correct. But Except that the people to the north have fairer skin. Apparently. We don't know if the Arkenlanders have fairer skin, but definitely the Narnians. And, you know, just being those four hmm. kings and queens there. Which, if you want to get real into, like, the science of Narnia, it's it's interesting, I guess, uh, to say anything about North and South at all, because, like, spoiler alert, parent, we haven't really accessed this in the books yet, but Narnia is a Discworld. A Discworld. It's not a sphere. You don't know that yet, I don't though. know that yet. You haven't read that book where that's revealed. But in, I, I, I feel like on a disc world, North and South don't really have a lot of meaning. I guess they have as much arbitrary meaning as they do here, but there aren't really poles. Like, you can't be like, this is the top of the globe, because it's a... I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's like... I think as long as everyone agrees which direction is which... Yeah. I think that it's good enough. Yeah. Sure. Um, so whatever. I mean, we can we can get real into like you know the science behind skin pigment skin pigmentation and why that doesn't make any sense here either. But that's going to be beside the point. So uh, that's where we are. That's the time frame we're in. We meet our first characters in this book. Our sheesh, poor fisherman. We meet Shasta, who is a boy that calls him father. Yes. Who um, he beats. Yes. So we'll introduce Shasta by I want to talk a little bit about uh, his name because we've brought up in other books that Lewis likes to add names that mean things like you know some things as, sometimes as obvious as Aslan meaning lion in uh, Turkish and Turkish etc cetera, etc cetera. maybe these are Turks like this is more this is where the Turkish delight comes from they're Ottomans yeah something like that um, they are the Ottoman Empire you said. Possibly. That that could be a direct analog. Shasta, um, I looked a bit into the, the etymology of this name, and there's a few different things. Uh, obviously, if you're somebody on the West Coast, you're probably familiar with, like, Mount Shasta and, like, the Shasta tribe of Native Americans, which are uh, a tribe that was around Northern California in the Oregon area, uh, which Mount Shasta is named for. Um also, uh, it is a Saharan African name, traditionally a female name, that means precious water. Hmm. And also, uh, a general Sanskrit word for teacher. I assume that it. Uh, I, um, I assume that it would be that meaning meaning precious water because Arshish reveals as he tells his story to the Tarkhan that he found. Shasta in a boat that mm -hmm. was washed ashore with a, a, a dead man holding him, basically. Yeah. And so we would say that this is, if, if Arshish named him Shasta, that would be a very good explanation for the symbolism that Lewis tends to put into his names. Yeah. So there you go. Precious water, teacher, or, you know, Native American tribe, that that last one doesn't really make a lot of sense in context. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm also not sure how well C.S. Lewis would have been versed with Native American tribes. Well, especially West British Coast man. Native American tribes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, we meet our characters and we have our setting. What do we What do we get into first? So, what happens chronologically here is we meet uh, this fisherman, 
the boy we established the relationship, which apparently is not good. This is like a very abusive environment that we've established. And we've already set the tone for the book as being quite dark. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I would say it's, I mean, it starts in a similar way that things like Harry Potter start, where it's like, there. this is a boy who lives in, a, in an abusive home. Uh-huh. He's alone. He's isolated. The only things that the people who care for him are interested in are what they can get from the boy. Yeah. And also... He's not interested in any of the boring stuff that the people who are raising him are interested in. Yeah. So he doesn't. He thinks that going to the town is pointless. One, it's to the south, and he only dreams of going north. Uh-huh. And two, the men there just like to talk. And he basically is describing all of the men of the the village as just like windbags who are just talking all the Very time. Very slowly, in fact. Yes, slowly. And I feel like we then have that portrayed very well when Arshish is talking to the Tarkin and he's just like, can you stop congratulating yourself and and just deal with me now? Yeah, we'll get there. That's a fun conversation. Um, So yeah, I'm going to just be comparing Shasta to Harry Potter for this entire book. And that's a way to introduce a character. Um, And it's an effective way to introduce a character to provide sympathy for them and also to create like a reason for us to be cheering this character on uh-huh. when they're doing things that C.S. Lewis would ne- would would want to interject and be like, don't run away from home, kids. Don't lock yourselves in any wardrobes. Don't forget to wipe your sword. But by we're not ending the podcast yet. <laughs> Stop. But by making this boy the the recipient of this abuse mm-hmm. c.s lewis has finally figured out how to not have to interject and say don't run away from home <laughs> if your parents love you you know or whatever yeah go ahead um so this is kind of par for the course at this point where like in the magician's nephew we are introduced to diggory who's a kid who moved because you know his mom's dying and his dad's off doing whatever in india and he's uh in kind of a neglected situation and then in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we have the four Pevensey kids coming out into the country because London's getting bombed during the Blitz. And, like, yeah. so... the Bunch of displaced yeah, children. Bunch of displaced children for, like, very dark reasons. So this is very stereotypical for the Narnia, Narnia series. Yeah, it does seem pretty pretty consistent. Lewis doesn't know how to write a, a child <laughs> with a happy home. Neither does Disney, so, I mean, <laughs> he's, in, he's in good company, maybe. No, <laughs> Disney. No, um, don't get me started on Disney right now. <laughs> okay, so he's not in a very happy home. Uh, poor fisherman lives in a kind of a poor village. Of this outside the village, though. This I feel like this area is made to seem very destitute and very hopeless, and I don't know. It's it's not quite like the the soul crushing darkness that is something like Charn. Mm. but it's still it's pretty close yeah it's pretty close and it's portrayed very much in a way where it's like yeah there's nothing here for anybody there's no future here it's hopeless like it's a bunch of you know men going about their boring business deals that don't really matter etc etc so i have a question yeah when you're when you're done no yeah go ahead how much of this is narnia prop like it, it, like, how much of this is what Aslan created at the beginning of The Magician's Nephew? See, that's that's something I was going to go into. I guess that now is as good a time as any. Uh, 
And that's a really interesting question because we established later in the book where, you know, spoilers for this chapter, we we meet a, you know, we meet a talking horse. His name is Bree. comes from Narnia and is just like, oh, yeah, up there all the animals talk and, like, there's magic and all this stuff. And the kid's just like, what? And he also says so, something like, by the lion's mane. Yeah. And refuses to say the Tisrock may he live forever. Uh-huh. He just calls him the Tisrock and Shasta's like, shouldn't you say yeah. may he live forever? And <laughs> Bree's like, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it is interesting where you have this this world where there's areas distant or outside of Narnia that are basically unfamiliar with the idea of magic or talking animals or any of these things that, that Aslan made. And so it seems like Aslan's creation is confined to this one area of this planet. I mean, also I would say, like, if there are different races, which it's obviously presented that there are white people and black people because yeah. the skin tones are directly referred to in the chapter, mm-hmm. these can't all be descendants of King Frank and and Queen. What's her name? That's a great question. King, but they can't be Helen. descendants of King Frank and Queen Helen because of the fact that there wouldn't be the racial diversity that's presented here. Unless we're talking about, like, immense time scales, which I don't think exist in the Narnia universe. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there would be... Like, if we talk tens of thousands of years, there might be the emergence of other races, but... Yeah, I don't know. (sighs) I mean, we also... Yeah, at this point, we've also established that Narnia hasn't had any tales of sons of Adam and daughters of Eve being present there until the Pevensey kids who are being presented in this book as still ruling in Narnia. So Narnia basically doesn't have any humans in it. So then we have the white people who live in Arkenland and the black people who live in Collarman. And that's the humans that are presented here. Is this an issue with an inconsistency within the universe, though? Because in The Magician's Nephew... We talk about how, you know, they can go to the mountain and they can see distant lands that aren't populated yet. But like we see other areas like Arkenland, nobody's there. So But did Aslan like call Narnia awake, 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 and then just jump over the mountain and say, Alright, Arkenland, awake, awake, awake. I don't know. Alright, jump over the mountain, okay. Like that's Collarman awake, awake, awake. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great question. Like, do we have separate areas of creation here? Did Narn- did you know Aslan only create Narnia, uh, and things kind of spilled over? And if that's the case, why are there no talking animals in Kalerman? Like, why are they confined to Narnia? Like, there's a lot of cosmological questions here that we don't really have answers to. And the magician's <sighs> nephew just creates more, which is why you shouldn't write prequels. It really does. So. Sorry. Uh, we can, I guess we can talk about that more once we have more evidence or things to talk about. Right now it's just baseless speculation. Yeah. Which is what we do best. Based based on me trying to remember what I read of these books 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) and so we also established something of the culture here in Kellerman because we talk about like all these poets and Mm. all these sayings. This is, this has taken the place of like Mr. Beaver's down home prophecies in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. (laughs) Is that we have these these 
poets and these sayings, and like they they get really wordy. Like I said, Lewis found a thesaurus before he wrote this chapter or this book. Um, and like here's the first time we have a, the poets mentioned. Um, so this is talking about Shasta asking his father about lands to the north, and he he might say something like, "Oh, my son, do not allow your mind to be distracted by idle questions." For one of the poets has said. Application to business is the root of prosperity, but those who ask questions that do not concern them are steering the ship of folly toward the rock of indigence. Like, <laughs> which sounds like a rule of acquisition. It does. <laughs> it also, I had to read the word indigence, in, in, that yeah, one, yeah. four times and still couldn't figure out how to read it. <laughs> yeah. And so things like that, and we use, you know, uh, other words like loquacious, and we... You know, uh, he, he's... I have one of the uh, one of the poets I'd like to read, but I'm gonna need your coffee. Okay, is it the one about soup? Um, no, it was the one about burying your back for the. Oh yeah, so so I would like to read this other one that says, uh, "Natural affection is stronger than soup, an offspring more <laughs> precious than carbuncles." Um, which I was, I read that several times, and I was just like, this as a saying, this doesn't make any sense. Is like soup isn't a food that's known for being like strong and full of like strong like yes, but it flavor. is the one know. that like when you're ill you crave <laughs> in order to to lift you and help you feel less sick. Yeah, but then gosh, I, I said when you when you're ill that was a weird way of saying <laughs> that. When you're ill, you crave soup. My I mean, boy. we can do a whole bonus episode about interpreting these parables, but then like specifically that one. Like, I reread and was like, wait, maybe soup is, like, a generic word for, like, food or, or or things like that. And natural affection is, you know, stronger than things you need to survive. Like, there's, it's some, making some kind of deep statement about love. I don't know. I don't know. I think, uh, I think that it is a thing that lifts you when yeah, you are old. But and... Go ahead. Read your, your, read your parable. Your proverb. Sorry. These are proverbs. Well, in a direct response to the one you just read, the the Tarkhan says, It is even so, replied the guest dryly. But another poet has likewise said, He who attempts to deceive the judicious is already bearing his own back for the scourge. <laughs> that one I liked a lot. I liked that one a lot, too. And... I was like, that's so good that it doesn't belong in this book. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh so stuff that happens in this chapter. We meet the kid. We he has a boring life. One day, a stranger comes to town, and the the description of the stranger again something I think is really cool. Where he's like, he comes up. He's got this like spear tip of a helmet poking out of his turban. Like he's got this long braided, dyed red beard, and like the he's spike got a... of the, the spike of a helmet, uh -huh. which projected from the silken turban. Sorry, uh -huh. red beard, yeah. dyed red beard. Yeah. And I'm like... A lance. The, the stirrups on his uh, saddle are silver. Yeah, it's like a very... And our sheesh just bows down to him. Yep, very descriptive intro. Uh, we have a stranger come to town, and he is a Tarkhan, uh, which we established later, I think. I don't know. I looked this up. Uh, you looked it up? I have no idea what a Tarkhan is. Basically a title like Lord. Right. Like, it, you know, it's nobility that's under the king, the Tisrock. May he so live forever. Yeah. So there's lords that we recognize him as a lord, or at least Arshish does, because he's immediately groveling and being like, oh, yes, whatever you need, whatever you need. Uh, the guy asks him to, you know, for hospitality. He's like, put me up for a night. And he's like, quick aside, like, 
I don't know. But just think about having like that kind of power and that kind of influence. Yeah, no, it's a, and it was a very common thing in feudalism. So it's like super it's super intense to think about having that kind of authority to just walk up to someone and be like I'm sleeping here tonight. Yeah. Just just roll into a town that you've never been to before and knock on a door and be like, yo, got or a bed be, for me? Or being on the <laughs> other side of that and being the person that someone knocked on your door and said, I'm sleeping here tonight. Yeah. Give me your food. Uh-huh. Those, those rules of hospitality. Go fill my gas tank up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's crazy. So Arshis is, of course, like, yes, we're going to host you and put you up. And then they, you know, kick the kid out because that's what you do, apparently. That's common when there's guests that his father has over. He's like, gets a hunk of bread and he gets tossed out in the street. Great times. You keep, I'm sorry, you keep describing this as if the cottage is in the village. It's not. His yeah, father, yeah, his, yeah. Arshish has to go to the village. This, you've said it three separate times. No, but you've said two other times <laughs> okay. that they're in the village. They're not. Okay, okay. Sorry, I didn't know you were so passionate about where the cottage was. For my my <laughs> mental visualization is that it's far away from the village and your descriptions are putting it close and within the village. And I don't want to confuse people who read this book 15 years ago yeah. and are listening to us based on their memory and not rereading. Yeah. I mean, it also says it's a mile away from the village. Like, you can walk out the front door and see the village over there. Like, a mile is not a long ways. Okay. Anyway, but... <laughs> That being said, um, so the, the, Arshish and uh, our visitor, whose name was Anhadrin. And, and, Ro- and Rodden. And Rodden. And Rodden. We don't find this out yet. We, we have to meet the horse first. But and Rodden, they go into the house. They have this conversation, which immediately turns into the Tarkon being like, want to buy your kid. <laughs> so. And he, and. And we have Arshish immediately saying, oh, he's my... And you... Shasta's listening because no one ever taught him it was rude to listen into other people's conversations. Little, and Lewis does not break in here and be like, he, you shouldn't listen to other people's conversations. But he did. <laughs> but the narrator did break in. And he only, he may or may not have a narrator character. We'll find out as we go. Uh-huh. But there was a break in that's that, that commented on Shasta's behavior as being uh-huh. inappropriate. Uh-huh. It very much said, this behavior is not okay. Don't do this. You know, it was... Yeah. No one ever taught him not to listen. And so... Um, we have we have Shasta hearing the greed in Arshish's voice, and that that description, I I don't know what just like struck me so hard about that description, but that description of hearing the greed uh-huh. in another person's voice just like felt icky to me. Uh huh. Um. But yeah, so we have Anne Radden ask, uh, telling Arshish, "I want to buy the boy." And Arshish is like, oh, he is my only son. He cares for me. And Radin's like, cut the crap. The boy is whiter than anyone in this entire, like, he is as white as anyone from the north. Uh-huh. And you are as black as I am. Yeah. Don't sit here and tell me that he's, he is not your son. Yeah. And, and Arshish is like, oh, no, okay, yes, I, I rescued him from a shipwreck, basically. Yeah. And have, but he's given me all of this value. So what would you offer me? 
And we have Shasta, who has apparently never realized that he is white and that everyone <laughs> else in the village is black. He's and never... he's just like, I, who am I? I could be anyone. I could be the son of a god. <laughs> yeah. You know, typical white person response. <laughs> I don't know who I am. I could be the son of a god. Um, but we just have Shasta just never puts two and two together and never figures this out. Apparently has never figured this out. Yeah. And we do have a little button here where we do have Lewis come in uh-huh. at this point. He tried, he tried not to, but yeah. he did. He, he talks about, oh, well. Don't, don't, don't feel like he feels as bad as you would feel. Yeah. You or I would. He specifically calls himself out, and Does he's like, he? "Yeah, he's like, it's not as if, you know, it's not as if he feels as bad as you or I would feel if our parents were talking about selling us into slavery." Uh, and so he does self-insert there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you must not imagine that Shasta felt at all as you and I would feel if we had just overheard our parents talking about selling us for slaves. Yeah. Oh, so this is... Lewis, you got so that didn't even stand out to me in the uh-huh. text reading it. He has so desensitized me to his nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is this is very like new and dark territory for the Narnia books. Like this is some intense stuff. Like we're yeah. talking about buying a kid and you know into I, slavery. I wouldn't say new like a new level of darkness because we had. Um, I mean, we've already had genocide. So yeah, we had Jadis kill everyone on Charm. We had genocide. Yeah. We have, we've had a, a, a battle in which four children were involved in fighting a war. Yeah. Um, and a lion bit someone's face off. Yeah. We had a woman who would turn people to stone. Uh-huh. And, um. I mean, we had sacri- no, the living sacrifice. We, of had, a, we had a oh, sacrifice yeah. of, of, uh, yeah, anyway. Yes. So, we have had a lot of darkness in the books. This is specifically saying Arshish is going to sell him as a slave to yep. the to the Tarkon. Yeah. So this is a thing. Um and he and Shasta gets Shasta's like an optimist, dude. I I maybe he's I mean, he's like we could go to war and I could save his life and I could be his son or he could be, you know, all of these great, all of these great ideas about all of the honor and good things that could happen to him. And then he just kind of goes, I wish I knew what kind of man he was. And this is almost like his only acknowledgement that this could also be worse beatings than Arshish gives him. Yeah. Um, I mean, he has a crap home life. So like it, it, a kid's gonna wonder, he's like, yeah, this, if his home life is that bad, this probably is a pretty good chance of him getting into something better, even if it's marginally so. So it's not like he's being unrealistic here, maybe a bit fanciful. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but that maybe tur- I'm the son of a god. <laughs> Turns out that's not the case, though. Uh, and we wander over to the other main character of this chapter. Who's of divorced. the book. Actually. Yeah, of the entire book. In fact, the, the, title second word, the title character and most of the cover art yes. on my version of the book, at least. I mean, it's the horse and his boy. Yep. So really, Bree is the main character. Yep. And we're finally just now meeting Bree. And, and in my cover art, he looks very concerned. Like, this is also, a... <laughs> does he have blonde hair and blue eyes in your cover art? I believe no, so. Okay, brown eyes. Brown, okay. Okay. 
Anyway, so we meet the the other main character of the book, who is the horse. And in a very serendipitous moment, Shasta wanders up, and he's just like, I wonder what kind of guy this, this you know, Archon, there's, not Archon, Tar- Tarkhan is, uh, if only you, the horse, could tell me. And the horse is like, oh, but I can. Um, and Shasta's response is not like, you can, t- his response is, how did you, however did you learn to talk? <laughs> Yeah, so we established that talking animals, not a thing in Kalerman. Like, they apparently don't wander far off from Narnia. Like, they're mm-hmm. kind of exclusively there. And, uh, I don't know, I guess the, the horse is very, he's got kind of an arrogant thing going on. Because he's I, like... I, I mean, you would too if you were a talking <laughs> horse who had pretended for however years because uh-huh. he was kidnapped when he was a foal. Yeah. Like, if you'd pretended for years that you were not intelligent and and could speak and you were pretending to be a pack animal. Yeah. And, like, when you finally had the chance to talk to someone, you would want to make sure that you reassured yourself uh-huh. <laughs> that you were still smart. Like, yeah. and I really like the way that he refers to Shasta as a foal. Uh-huh. And I thought that was really cute and endearing. It was really fun. It, this brings up all sorts of questions. Again, this is not what the book or the chapter is about at all. But as an aside, it brings up all sorts of questions about, like, the sociology and, like, the culture of Narnia. Because do do we have a cultural divide in Narnia between animals? Because we know in Narnia there also are animals that don't talk. Mm-hmm. So do we have, you know, the beavers in Narnia that talk thinking they're better or they're a different class of citizen than the beavers who can't? Are there other beavers who can't? Like, that's my question. Is like, is there beavers who can and beavers who can't? Or are there beavers can and maybe otters can't? I don't know. Because, like, we, I think we only have a couple examples in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe of non-talking animals. We have the bird that they follow into the woods is one of them. Who is clearly intelligent yes. enough to be able to follow a task and, and bring them somewhere and communicate something. Yeah. But but doesn't chat. I I don't know. We'd have to I'd have to look into it again. I'm not sure how many other examples we have of non-talking animals. And magicians' nephew, we have a lot of them. Yeah. Like there there's a very clear divide between like oh these ones uh, Aslan's going to get the speech gets a speech to, and then these other special ones within that group are going to be like the divine council, and we're going to elevate these even further. So I don't know. It I think it says something interesting about you know class relationships in Narnia when the horse is just like. Yeah, I'm better than those other dumb horses. Like pretending to be one of them is just uh, yeah. But that clearly, was gross. on this same <laughs> this same world, there are horses that speak and horses that don't. But is it just the magic of Narnia that allows the horses to speak? Because it clearly is an innate ability. When they mm-hmm. leave Narnia, they can still talk. It's Correct. not it's not limited to Narnia. Uh huh. So I don't know. Um, we also have. Bree as well telling the boy, by the way, kid, you're white. So once again, we have another <laughs> character informing, you know, yeah. or we have a character directly informing Shasta, you look like you have blood of the North in you. Yeah, I mean, he's, he he does say that in a really uh, weird way. Let me, I wanted to quote this part because okay. I thought it was just an interesting exchange. Uh, so they talk about um, running away because, like, the horse hates the master He's a terrible guy. He's he tells Well, and Shasta, he was kidnapped. He wants to go yeah. home. And he tells Shasta, yeah, 
He's even worse to the humans. He has his slaves. You don't want to go with him. We can help each other. Let's yeah. get away. It would be better if you died this very night than to go yeah. with him. And they say, oh, hurrah, says Shasta. Then we'll go north. I've been longing to go to the north all my life. Of course you have, said the horse. That's because of the blood that's in you. I'm sure you're true northern stock, but not too loud. I should think they're, they're, they'd be asleep soon now. I don't know. It's, well, I mean, it's a horse talking about yeah. a person as yeah. they would talk about a horse. Like, yeah. he says, you're good stock, which is which is also weird for a horse to talk about horse <laughs> as stock when there's a ho- talking yeah. horse. Yes. And he's, I was like, yeah, the, no, the you're right. That's really weird. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. That's really weird. <laughs> like, it's endearing when he calls him a foal, but yeah. it's not. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, uh, I thought that was interesting. And then... Um, we have this whole plan gets put together really, really quickly. Kid sneaks over to the hut, grabs the horse stuff. He's never ridden a horse before. He's ridden a donkey, which apparently... <laughs> a the, what? A wall. <laughs> uh, it's how he pronounced it, apparently. He's a, apparently, the, the horse is very much in uh, speciesist against donkeys, too. He's just like, oh, you've ridden a donkey. <laughs> what, is, what is that amateur stuff? Well, we've kind of skipped over the reason that Bree is willing to bring Shasta along because it will help protect him from people thinking he's a stray horse. Yes. And so as long as there's a rider on him, no one will stop him. Yeah. But then once Shasta gets all the gear out, Bree is just like, what are you doing with those spurs? Don't touch those reins. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not controlling we're gonna, me. I'm, we're going to sell those spurs. This is my idea. And, and the spurs are... The, the stirrups were silver. Yeah. We didn't get any description of the spurs, but I assume if he's someone who's dressed as ornately as he is, they'll probably get some good money out of those spurs. Probably, because uh, the horse is like, let's sell these things. And I think at this point we've established that the horse is the protagonist of this book. Um, I mean, he's the, title, <laughs> he's the title character. Yeah. It's the horse. And his boy. like yep. you know. Shasta belongs to the horse. Yep. So that's the thing. So... The horse breed, who we should skip ahead a little bit just to give the horse's full name, which go, I'm going to pronounce it. in this podcast. Brie Henny Brenny Hoo Which I'm not a horse, it so I It sounds I'm, even worse than it looks on the page. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Brie Henny Brenny Hoo Um, which I want to, I want to jump Which I want to jump in here and... And so, like, this is another one of those, like, as much as much as this chapter is written better than, like, any chapter in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it's starting out to be, like, what I think is going to be a better book, probably, making really early judgment calls, it's still one of those instances where, we're like, we have this chapter that's all this really dark subject material, like, there's a, an abused kid, he's going to get sold into slavery, like, he's dreaming of finding his people, and, like, all these serious themes... And in the last paragraph, Lewis is like, I need to throw in a weird joke. Great! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I feel like that was a weird moment of humor. Uh, mm, the, yeah. the horse's name, which I don't think is supposed to be taken seriously. Well, and then we also have the joke back when Bree is like, well, what's what's your name? And he's like, Shasta. And he's like, well, that'll be hard to pronounce. <laughs> yeah, and we, we end on this really weird, like, whimsical note, uh, which I, I guess is fine because we're lightening up the end of the chapter and getting into the second one well i mean it's um, a progression toward hope we have yeah. a boy who started out being abused and beaten and now he's 
gonna run away with a horse. Yeah. So he gets the horse. He takes him. He, um, uh, and they they set off on an adventure. So the one thing running I running away to Narnia. I did want to talk about uh before we get into our rewrites or anything. Is there anything you wanted to say about the chapter? I know. I mean, I feel like the the things that I wanted to talk about had a lot more to do with what we've talked about already, where it's this kind of really interesting setting and this kind of weird amount of, like, leaning on character cues to develop a setting and Uh having this abuse factor and having the horse just be like, well, you're coming with me, boy. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, no, there wasn't really anything else I felt. My notes... Uh, were fully met. So I did want to bring this up, uh, where apparently there has been criticism of Lewis for this book. Okay. Uh, And he has been accused by a number of people of racism Mm -hmm. and the depictions therein. And I wanted to read this quote uh, that I found on the Wikipedias. Um, It's talking about his accusations. In The Companion to Narnia, which is another book that apparently we should read at some point, uh, the Catholic theologian Paul F. Ford wrote, C.S. Lewis was a man of his time and socioeconomic class. Like many Englishmen of this era, Lewis was unconsciously but regrettably unsympathetic to things in people Middle Eastern. Thus, he sometimes engages in exaggerated stereotyping in contrasting things Narnian and things Calarmine. He intends this in a broadly comic way, almost vaudevillian. But in our post-September 11, 2001 world, he would, I am sure, want to reconsider this insensitivity. Yeah, I mean, there is only, I mean, at this point, we're reading this book today. Yes. So we can't sit here and say, like, yeah, he was a product of his time. This book is a product of its time. Uh-huh. We can't ignore the fact that he is very, very openly presenting a racial stereotype. And so it's, 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 I mean, you can say that at the same time, like, I don't think there's anything terribly problematic in this chapter personally, because like, yeah, we have descriptions of these characters. However, if you go back to, you know, the, the middle ages and like the middle East or around Turkey, or you go back to the early days of the Ottoman empire, you're going to find a bunch of dark skinned dudes wearing turbans with long beards. Yeah. Like this is just like a thing. I don't feel like anything in the way that he described them yet uh-huh. has been directly problematic, but I think that we also don't have the right eyes to look at that. Neither one of us is Middle Eastern. Neither uh-huh. one of us has spent our life getting made fun of for wearing a turban or wearing a burqa or wearing any, you know, of these traditional clothing or wearing our a beard in that way. Uh-huh. And so, like, this is something that is culturally sensitive, specific to a people group, and C.S. Lewis is stereotyping these people as being, like, as having huge class divides, as being people who would beat children that they found on the beach, Uh as being people who would steal horses from Narnia, as being, you know, like, it is very much taking this group of people in Kalaman and presenting them exclusively as thugs and thieves and abusers and yeah. very monstrous people. So it's it's even, you know, 
even if Lewis is trying to do it comedically, mm-hmm. it's not right. And like we can't ignore the fact that it is very much portraying these people in a way that is demeaning and dismissive and racist. Yeah. Like and we can't we can't look at it and pretend like that's not there. Uh-huh. I mean and especially not in today's world. Hello. Um Hello. I've only cried four times today <sighs> reading articles about Minneapolis, so I think we're doing really well. That's better than yesterday. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, no, I can see. Like, I mean, it's going to be a theme throughout this book because from what I understand, the majority of this book takes place in Kellerman, if not all of it. So this is going to be, like, a thing. Yeah. And, um, and, I mean, I feel like it's important for us to acknowledge it when we see it. Like, because mm-hmm. I feel like... Even just right now, you didn't necessarily see the portrayal of these people as monstrous thugs in the same way that I see it. Well, because I was thinking of them like, hey, here's a setting, here's the people, and these people just happen to be jerks. Like, Yes, we... but even even Jadis got better treatment than that. Yeah, because like... She in... was given nuance as a character to, to seduce Edmund with Turkish delight and then to take him away and then to switch faces and then to barter with, you know, Aslan and all these things. Like, she was even given more character development in a second book um, in The Magician's Nephew. Like, so when you look at the books as they exist already and the development of these kind of villainous characters... Uh It's, it's, it is problematic and it isn't something that we should just, you know, leave untouched. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure we will touch it quite a bit uh, during this book. This is, uh, by page count, a longer book than any of the other, than any of the other two we've read. Either of the other two books we've read so far. Yeah, I, uh, I find it interesting that I tried to put off starting this book because I didn't want to dive into what I remembered as being racist issues uh-huh. and um, timing worked out that we are doing it right in the middle of the riots and the protests all over the United States which and yeah I have an intro at the beginning of this episode that shares some of our intentions and our goals and our hopes for what we're doing with this podcast but yeah so we'll we'll see. We'll this see what happens in the books. Uh, I don't go. think I established this in the episode, uh, but for those of you who are new listeners, I haven't read this book. This is my first time going through this. Uh, the only book I had read prior to doing this podcast was *Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. So this is brand new for me. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who any of the characters are. So Yay. I will be discovering this as we go. Uh, so before I talk about what I feel like this chapter has to offer, why don't we go ahead and do our rewrite section and go into, uh, Narnia Chopped and Screwed. Hashtag. Narnia Cobbler. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, we didn't introduce it at the beginning as Narnia Chopped. Oh, that's a shame. Sorry, Nathan. Yep. Um, so, uh, in this segment, what we do is we find another five sentences from the chapter that we just try to chop and screw and use to make our own completely new story out of it. Uh, and we've done this for the previous two books. In this one, I am doing something different. I've talked about this before. However, I'm going into this book with the intention of making one coherent narrative with all of my rewrites. Good luck. For every chapter in this book. I think you gave up after the second chapter last book. 
This one, so... I had one other thing I wanted to say about our addressing of the topic of racism throughout this. Mm -hmm. Throughout the first two books, I made a point of bringing up the uh my feminist critique Mm -hmm. and i want to i don't want to stop doing that but i want to put the priority on the racist critique Uh over my feminist critique i mean so far we have zero female characters yeah i mean that's my (laughs) that's my feminist critique right there Uh but um (laughs) but i just kind of want to take that same kind of tone that i've had with the other two books when it comes Uh to feminism Uh and bring it in with you know shifting focus to where it should be especially in this book with the way it's been presented so far Uh that races that that the racial issue is going to be present in this book and that it is something that i should be critiquing yeah so that's that's my intention anyway continue sorry uh so yeah that's the thing i'm gonna be trying really hard to make a continual narrative because i think it's gonna work uh better in this one for for reasons that i'll reveal shortly go go ahead would you like to do yours first you'd like me to do mine first i did my uh yes my chopped first Uh, so you get to do your chopped and screwed I'm going to do mine, and this is the way I want to do it, uh, to add intrigue and mystery to the show. So I'm just going to read it out, and since I'm trying to come up with a narrative, I want you to give me feedback on where you think I'm going with it. Okay. Like, I'm not going to color your perceptions, listener, by saying this is what I intended here. I just want to read it as the story I've written, and you can you can discover it along with me. Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't it be nice? Do you remember the seagulls? Do you remember? <laughs> Anyway, so here is my rewrite of this chapter. Can I call you Bree? All these years I have been a slave to humans, hiding my true nature and pretending to be dumb and witless like their horses. But why not run away with me? But as I intend to do all the directing on this journey, you'll please keep your hands to yourself. I suppose anyone can fall, said Shasta. I couldn't find that sentence. I <laughs> wanted to use that one in my rewrite, That's... and I couldn't. I, I suppose anyone can fall, said Shasta. Uh-huh. I wanted to use that one in my rewrite. Anyway, so thoughts on, on mine? Like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything about it, but... I like it. I feel like you've created a, a very good starting point for a story. Cool. Um as far as a self-contained story, I don't think it's a self-contained story, but that's not what you're intending to do. Yes. So. I have I, an idea. I have a, a, a plot outline for where I'm going with this, if I can make <laughs> it work for the book. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. So you're going to be looking for sentences that yes. specifically fit your plot outline. Yes. So like if if Bree dies in the next chapter, it's just going to completely gonna be, ruin your. It's going to be real hard. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that's the hard part because I don't know where the book is going, so. I'm, I'm thinking Bree doesn't die. <laughs> I mean, he has yep. a title character, yep. so. All right, go ahead. You're a dreadful height, gasped Shasta. <laughs> Don't look at the ground. Uh, I'll try, said Shasta. However, did you learn to talk? Oh, son, do not allow your mind to be distracted by idle questions. Okay. This is a little snippet. What, 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 what do you think? I don't, I don't know. Here? I just had a little sassy back and forth where it's like, <sighs> you're really tall. Well, don't look down. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'll try. How did you learn to talk? 
<laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was, just, it was just a back and forth between two people being... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my son, do not allow your mind to be distracted by idle questions. Like, I don't know. I just really liked, I really liked making some sass. <laughs> make, that's what you do. You make some sass. I do. Um, okay. So anyway... Uh, why don't we go ahead and finish out with our, our final segment here, and somehow we're keeping this around for a third season. Much there to was Kristen no chagrin. voting on this. There was no, there was no question. We're a two-person podcast. A vote doesn't really work. You did not even ask me if we were going to keep this in until right now. You just sprung it on me. It's here. Uh-huh. Would you like to keep this in, Kristen? No. Yes, I actually, okay. I really look, I really... <laughs> I really look forward to just like how exasperated you get when I refuse to read the chapter. Like that's, that's part continue. of that's one of my favorite things about this. Uh, so in this segment, what we do is uh, I look at the chapter. I'm going to say I because Kristen doesn't really participate. She just makes fun of me for doing it. I still um, give my I, final thoughts. I look at the chapter as a whole, and I usually rate it on a one to five star system based on how well I think it did uh, what it set out to do. And Kristen always gives me what our rating uh, pips are. What are we doing for this one? Bottles of red beard dye. I don't need that. Um, <laughs> you do have a red beard uh, all by yourself. I do. Um, bottles of red beard dye. So like I said, I, I want to preface this by saying that I don't want to have like you know, the, the talk about the racism overtones, render tones, or that discussion that we're going to have, I'm not, I'm going to try not to let any of that color my uh, reviews of the chapters, because it would just be dumb to be like, oh, this is in every chapter in the book, one star, because it's racist. I think that's unfair uh, to anything else in the chapter. So I'm going to try to set hmm. that aside as its you own thing. You think it's unfair that people would be treated differently because of their skin color? Yes, I do. I, <laughs> you're trying to trap me here. <laughs> I'm not That's trying to make you be racist uh, on the podcast. No, no. Please don't. Yeah, no, no I, I just think I want to take each chapter as its own merits as a narrative, and that's all it is. It's not trying to tell people how to live their lives except for when it, you know. Except does. for when it does. Except for when it does. But uh, I'm taking it as a narrative. That being said, uh, this chapter is written better than anything in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is. Uh, I'm far enough removed from Magician's Nephew that I don't want to say that as a broad statement uh, about that one as well. However, I do like this one a lot more in the way it's written, in the tone, in the language choice, because I think overall this is written to an older audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, than The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe was, where this almost feels like it could be written for, you know, maybe 12, 13-year-olds, something like that. Uh, so this is written to uh, a kind of a more grown-up tone. Uh, the I think it's really interesting that we just jump right into a place we've never been before, and so far the series has kind of revolved around Narnia, hence the title of the series, and we're going to an entirely new area where... It's it's basically alien to the narrative of the story because we we don't really have all the talking animals. We don't have the magic. We don't have the witch. The lion's not here, and it's you know this this whole other thing that's going on while Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe is happening. Yeah, and so I think that's kind of fun. Um, I don't like 
the the fact that Lewis is still doing his like I need to jump in and insert myself as the narrator thing. Like I said, I don't really love like his awkward use of humor still because he's still not doing that better. Mm-hmm. It's it's I mean it's a lot to make statements about the first chapter, but we'll see where it goes. Um, so all that being said, I'm gonna go ahead and give this one a you know a good four bottles of red beard dye out of five wow that's nice yeah um you said that this is you know the first time we've kind of departed from narnia and in original writing order this is not yeah in original Mm -hmm. writing order the voyage of the dawn treader was written before this and they Mm -hmm. leave narnia on the dawn treader Mm -hmm. they're on the the narnian ship dawn treader um traveling around and so with that said, if you've read Voyage of the Dawn Treader first, when you get here to the horse and his boy, mm-hmm. then you already know the spoiler that you said earlier from Voyage of the Dawn Treader uh, about the world. And then you also um, would have already had an adventure outside of Narnia. Uh-huh. And I feel like there was a, a, there's a large number of people I know that fall on in either love it or hate it side for Dawn Treader, where Dawn Treader is either their favorite book or... The one they hate the most. Or, you know, like... But where do you think I'll fall on that? I think that you will hate it. I like boat stories a lot. Yeah. <sighs> I think you'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a quick little turnaround, wasn't it? Oh, my, my, my. Uh, and so as we go into this book, this would be the second adventure we've had outside of Narnia. Mm-hmm. So it would almost be like we have already had our appetite whetted for this. And like in this case, we've just jumped all the way out of Darnia. So this is just my argument once again that we're reading the books in the wrong order. I'll stop eventually. Probably around book seven. Uh-huh. Um, so as far as this chapter goes, I would have to give it a... One and a half silver stirrups at least. Okay. Maybe a full set of two. Wow. I don't know. Okay. Um, but yeah, we could sell in there. those. We could sell them. <laughs> Let's sell them, Chris. <laughs> Let's do that. Can we pay off that, my student loans that way? I was gonna say it might pay for next month's hosting fees, but. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, Kristen, you want to take us out here? Thank you so much for joining us today as we begin our dive into the horse and his boy. Um, this, uh, this is where I'm supposed to read the social media yeah. stuff. Thanks. I forgot. We've only done 50 episodes of this show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. This has been Chronically Narnia. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Chronically Podcast or on Twitter at Chronically Pod. Uh, or you can email us at Chronically Podcast. Um, you could email us your fan art of mm, mm, uh, mm, a very sad donkey donkey gets left behind a sad donkey Uh uh-huh or you could send us commentary on how well or badly we handled the racial issue in this podcast because we're trying so i was gonna say that would just be eeyore i guess Eeyore. <laughs> All right, cool.
So yeah, see you next time for chapter two, a wayside adventure. And until then... Don't close yourselves in any wardrobes. And don't forget to wipe your sword. We need to come up with a, a third one for this book. Or we need to come up with actually season-related ones to I this guess book. We'll get, well, I mean, we don't have one yet, but don't get in a shipwreck. I, <laughs> don't, don't, ooh, wow. I was going to say don't get sold to a bad tar can, but um, <laughs> don't know about that. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> Bye. King Frank and and Queen. What's her name? That's a great question. Well, I'll edit that in later. <laughs> it also, I had to read the word indigence in Indian that yeah, one yeah. four times and still couldn't figure out how to read. It. Yeah. As far as this book go, uh, this chapter, this chapter goes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to give it a chunk of bread and send it out of the cottage. Like Wow. <laughs> uh, oof, okay. We have very different ratings of this chapter. No, uh, I actually <laughs> I actually did like this um, chapter a lot. And I I don't want to say a negative, you know, say negative things about it. Thanks for joining us. See you next week don't for Don't close yourselves in any cabin or whatever. Yeah, you know. Uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Cabinet, that no. book that we read the last time. <laughs> no. Uh, not the Persian Empire, that was a, you know, very anachronistic, but later. Um, <laughs> here's the thing for the blooper reel. I, I keep wanting to call him Tarkin, which is a Star Wars character. Mm-hmm. But that would just be like putting too many Star Wars references in this Narnia podcast, which is a thing we don't do, obviously. Ever. Obviously. We've never... No. I've, we've made it very clear that you've never seen Star Wars. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs>